I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today, civil rights lawyer and activist Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative. If I've had any impact as a lawyer, if I've helped anybody during my legal career, if I've made a difference of representing my clients, it's not because I'm hardworking, it's not because I'm smart or anything like that. It's because I got proximate to a condemned man and heard him sing about higher ground. And that's why I talk about proximity, because I think there's power when we get close to the poor and the excluded and the condemned. There's knowledge, there's wisdom, there's insight, there's inspiration. There are portals that can change the world. And later, I'll speak with the man who plays Brian in the new movie, Just Mercy, Michael B. Jordan, and Jamie Foxx, who portrays the client whose case put Brian Stevenson on the map. Brian Stevenson has been fighting this fight in the shadows for years. So that's why this movie is so important. My next question, what made the real Brian Stevenson the man he is today? I recently had the privilege of interviewing Brian, one of my personal heroes, at a dinner for the Aspen Institute in New York City. Hi, everyone. Good evening. It's such an honor. I began by asking him about his childhood. He grew up in a small rural town in southern Delaware, poor isolated and marginalized, but surrounded by family that taught him the values that have guided him his entire life. I was born at the end of the Jim Crow era, but you could still see the signs that said white and colored. And I watched my parents try to shield me from that. I mean, we don't realize that that signage wasn't, they weren't directions. They were actually assaults. They created real injuries. My parents were humiliated every day of their lives. And yet, they had enough hope that they actually believed uh, that they could raise us to enter a world that would be better and more just. And I think it was that sense that you have to believe things you haven't seen 
that I was constantly being taught. You know, I was a young person and I became a church musician. And uh, when I first started to play, I, you know, they didn't want me to play during the services. I had to play during the testimonial. And people would come in and they'd give their testimonies. And sometimes they'd say these heartbreaking they tell these heartbreaking stories about what had happened. They didn't have enough food to feed their family or something had happened and something terrible. But during those testimony services, they would always end their testimony by starting to sing a song. They'd start singing something like, wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. And there was this hopefulness. And I think for me, that has been the greatest gift. I live in Montgomery, Alabama now. And uh, I think about the people who were there 60 years ago trying to do what I do. And I realize I'm standing on their shoulders and they did so much more with so much less. One of the people who did so much more with so much less was Brian's grandmother, a woman who was born in the 1880s in Virginia, who had 10 children and was the matriarch of the family. She was tough and strong, but Brian says her love was so expansive that she had a way of making each of her grandchildren feel special, and seen. My grandmother was the daughter of people who were enslaved. Her parents were born in slavery. My great-grandfather learned to read as an enslaved person, even though he knew he might be sold or even injured because he had that skill. And she would talk about how when emancipation came, all of the uh, formerly enslaved people would come to their house and he would read the newspaper every night and she would sit next to him and she would be so proud that he had that ability. And even though she couldn't go to school, she learned to read and she taught her daughter, my mom, uh, how to read. And we were poor and we didn't always have the things uh, that we needed. But my mother went into debt to buy the World Book Encyclopedia because she wanted us to have this entry into the world. And when you see people making those kinds of sacrifices, affirming those kinds of values, it sustains you, it energizes you. And then the last thing my, my, I feel really fortunate to have been given was a commitment to loving people. My, my, my grandmother told me, always stay on the side of love. Even when people treat you bad, even when people hate you, even when people mistreat you, you have to stay on the side of love because once you leave the side of love, you give away the most important parts of yourself. You become vulnerable to all of those emotions that will destroy you. So you have to stay on the side of love. My people, my parents, my grandparents, despite the brutality and the mistreatment, didn't hate anybody. And it's a precious gift that they have given me. And I've tried to hold on to that gift. And it's the gift I want to give to my clients and the people I work with. And it has very much centered the work that I've done uh, throughout my career. So both hope and love. Hope and love, yeah. And you would think that little eight-year-old Brian Stevenson knew he wanted to be a public interest lawyer, you know, but you didn't actually figure that out for quite a while. You went to Harvard Law School, but you weren't particularly jazzed about going. And once you got there, you really felt like an outsider. So at what point did you feel like, this is my calling? This is where I'm going to commit my time and energy? Yeah, I mean, it was funny. I was so excited because nobody in my family had gone to college. I was so excited just to be in college that I didn't think much about what came next. And I was a philosophy major. And it was really at the beginning of my senior year that somebody came up to me and said, you know nobody's going to pay you to philosophize when you graduate from college. <laughs> and to be honest, that's how I found my way to law school. It was very clear to me, you don't need to know anything to go to law school. You don't. <laughs> Uh, and so I signed up for that. But I didn't have a real appreciation of what lawyers did. I didn't, I'd never met a lawyer until I got to law school. And I was very disoriented because I was concerned about racial inequality and social injustice. 
And it just didn't feel connected to the things I cared about. And I was really uh, in the middle of this kind of existential angst. Everything changed in 1983 when Brian took a course that required him to spend a month with a human rights organization providing legal services to people on death row. He headed down to Atlanta and into the prison system. And it was that experience that really became transformative. I, I, I went to death row. I met people literally dying for legal assistance. And I write about this in my book. The first person I met was this condemned man. I'd just been sent down there to tell him that he wasn't at risk of execution. And when this man came into the room, he was burdened with chains. He had handcuffs on his wrist. He had a chain around his waist. He had shackles on his ankles. And by the time they unchained him, I was so nervous, I just started apologizing. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just a law student. I don't know anything about the death penalty. And I finally said, but I'm here because you're not at risk of execution anytime in the next year. And he was so stunned by that statement. He said, wait, say that again. And I said, you're not at risk of execution anytime in the next year. And then he said, wait, 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 say that again. I said, you're not at risk of execution anytime in the next year. And this man grabbed my hands and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, you are the first person I've met in the two years I've been on death row who's not a death row prisoner or a death row guard. He said, I've been talking to my wife and my kids, but I haven't let them come and visit because I was afraid I'd have an execution date. He said, now because of you, I'm going to see my wife. I'm going to see my kids. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I couldn't believe how, even in my ignorance, being proximate to that man was so transformative. And we started talking and one hour turned into two hours and two hours turned into three hours and the guards were waiting for me to finish and they got angry that I didn't finish the visit after an hour. And they came bursting into the room and they couldn't do anything to me, but they were mad. And they threw this man against the wall and they pulled his arms back and they put the handcuffs on his wrist so tightly I could see the metal uh, pinching his skin. They wrapped the chain around his waist. They put the shackles on his ankles. They were treating him so roughly and I begged them to be gentler, but they ignored me. And they pushed the man near the door. And when he got near the door, I saw this condemned man plant his feet. And when he planted his feet and the guards tried to shove him, he didn't move. And that's when this man looked at me and he said, Brian, don't you worry about this. You just come back. And then that man did something I've never forgotten. He stood there and he closed his eyes and he threw his head back and he started to sing. And he started singing this hymn I hadn't heard. He started singing, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. And then he said, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And everybody stopped. The guards recovered. They started pushing him down the hallway. And you could hear the chains clang, but you could hear this man singing about higher ground. And when I heard that man sing, everything changed for me. That was the moment that I knew I wanted to help condemned people get to higher ground. But more than that, I knew that my journey to higher ground was tied to his. And I went back to Harvard Law School completely radicalized. You couldn't get me out of the law school library. I needed to know everything about federalism and comedy and the doctrine and the jurisprudence. And that's how it happened for me. I went to death row and I met a condemned man and he sang to me and it changed my orientation. It changed my path. It changed my life. Let's talk about Just Mercy mm -hmm. just for a moment because sure. it's coming out on December 25th. And of course, that is the case at the center of the, your 2014 book when you defended Walter McMillan. Played, I think, so incredibly. I was lucky enough to see the film, Jamie Foxx. And I thought he did an amazing job. Michael B. Jordan, of course, plays you. How weird was that to watch that? 
Uh, it's pretty weird. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really, I feel really good about the film. I was very apprehensive uh, because Hollywood oftentimes will take a story and they'll do something formulaic and I didn't want that to happen. But Michael B., who's a producer on the film, was really committed to doing it right. The director, Destin uh, Cretton, was also committed. And the whole cast came together and were really committed to doing this in a way that would honor the people uh, that I've represented. And they really put their heart into it. And I feel really good about the film. Why are you doing this? Why am I a lawyer? No, no. Why is you a lawyer down here in Alabama taking these cases that ain't nobody going to pay you for? When I was a teenager, my grandfather was murdered over a black and white TV. We kept waiting for someone to show up to help. And that's when I realized that outside my community, nobody cared. Because to them, he's just another black man killed in the projects. I know what it's like to be in the shadows. It is surreal uh, to, to have a film come out and and, and Michael B. is obviously so, so popular and, and so wonderful. And, and he was very committed. We spent a lot of time together and just wanted to do everything he could to get it right. And he asked me, he said, is there anything I need to do that, to kind of get ready? I said, no, you've got it. I said, there's just one thing you don't need to do. And I told him, the one thing you don't need to do is to lose the Black Panther Creed body when you play me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you should keep, don't go on a lawyer diet. Don't try to, you know. Uh, and, so, uh, and so I appreciate him uh, uh, holding on to all of those assets that he brings to his other roles. Uh, but no, it's, it's been great, and I'm really excited for people to see the film. And for me, it's just a way of getting people exposed to these issues. I've always believed that if people saw what I see on a regular basis, they would respond the same way. And if when you see unfairness and abuse and misconduct, people have an instinct uh, to respond to that. We just have not been exposed to it, and I hope the film changes that. It is a case study in persistence when you represented Walter McMillan. I mean, it was years of injustice that he had to deal with. And uh, and of all places, Monroeville, yeah. Alabama, the birth where Harper Lee and Truman Capote grew up, of course, the setting for To Kill a Mockingbird. That must have been strange, too. It, it is. And I think part of the reason why I focused on that case in the book, because I do think there's an irony in the way we tell stories about who we are. And there's a disconnect. And people love the story of To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a beautiful book. And yet. And yet. Uh, there's a truth that we haven't dealt with. You know, the character in that story, Tom Robinson, dies of hopelessness. He does not get justice. And we probably have about 200 awards in this country that are named after the fictional lawyer, Atticus Finch. And the question becomes, what are we celebrating? Because we didn't achieve justice for the poor. We didn't achieve justice for the person who was condemned. And it's not enough to just try in a world where justice requires something more. And I think that's the disconnect. And when I went to Monroeville and started working on this case, everybody would say, oh, have you been to the Kill a Mockingbird Museum? And I would say, well, no, I haven't had time because I'm representing this innocent black man who's been wrongly convicted and is facing execution, and I'm trying to help him. And they said, well, you need to go to the To Kill a Mockingbird Museum. And we have romanticized that story while we have tolerated a criminal justice system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. We have tolerated racial bias, while we have celebrated this fictional character's 
uh, resistance to some of that bias, but not their effectiveness in confronting that bias. And breaking down that kind of romanticized narrative and actually engaging with the actual story, for me, has been really important because we won't get to justice if we live in this fantasy world, in this romanticized world that is so evident in many places in this country. When we come back, the actual story of Walter McMillan, as told in the new film, Just Mercy. We'll talk with Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The movie Just Mercy is based on Brian Stevenson's memoir. It tells the story of a black man in Alabama named Walter McMillan, wrongfully convicted of killing a white woman he didn't know in a town he'd never been to. Despite the egregious lack of evidence, in 1987, McMillan was sentenced to death. You rich boy from Harvard, you don't know what it is down here. When you're guilty from the moment you're born. And you can buddy up with these white folks and make them laugh and try to make them like you, whatever that is, and you say, yes, sir, no, man, but when it's your turn, they ain't got to have no fingerprints. No evidence. And the only witness they got made the whole thing up. And none of that matter when all y'all think is, is I look like a man who could kill somebody. 
Walter McMillan is played by Jamie Foxx. It's so familiar because as, as black men, the perception of us is, yeah, he probably did it. So easily he's put on death row with no trial. And there he sits uh, in a hopeless place because I visited death row before for another movie. And the worst thing you can give a person in death row is, is, is hope. And there he sits. And as he sits, all of a sudden... He doesn't know it at the time, but his angel walks in, and it's Brian Stevenson, played wonderfully by uh, Michael B. Jordan in the movie, and uh, they set out to do something remarkable. Michael B. Jordan not only plays Brian Stevenson, the lawyer who successfully overturned Walter McMillan's death sentence, but he's also a producer on the film and had a big hand in getting it financed. As a black man in America, I thought it was really important to be involved with the story, learning about Brian Stevenson at such a late age. Uh, I felt I was shocked that he wasn't more of a household name. Uh, when I found out about his work, got a chance to listen and watch his TED Talk, read his memoir. Uh, I was blown away by the work that he was doing behind closed doors without any real true support. So I felt like I could lend myself, my platform, my medium uh, to uh, help telling the story and getting the story out to the masses. First time I visited death row. I wasn't expecting to meet somebody the same age as me. Grew up on the same music from a neighborhood just like ours. Could have been me, mama. But stepping into the role of his real-life hero, Brian Stevenson, who's also soft-spoken and restrained, took a different set of acting skills for the Black Panther star. I think emotionally, the positions that Brian Steven has been in throughout this movie, throughout his uh, his time as being a defense attorney, you know, especially in the Deep South, the, the, the obstacles he had to encounter, I naturally would have reacted much different. So to know that he is such a reserved person, that he did take his pride and his ego and put it to the side for the betterment of his clients, knowing that, you know, him emotionally reacting wouldn't, wouldn't get anything done right. in that type of way. So he's so strategic and so so methodical in how he moves. Uh, you know, it, it it was a challenge to go against sometimes your natural reaction to things, uh, and and uh, and 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 play a more reserved and and reserved sort of choice. controlled, right? And yeah. you're right, he, he did it because he knew that was the means to the end he wanted to achieve. Meanwhile, how did Michael convince you or did did it take any convincing? It, it, was, no, it was no convincing. I've, I've known Mike for, for a long time. In I've fact, watched, you were sort of his mentor yeah, when he came I, to L.A. I, I've watched exactly. him grow up. So I was humbled and honored to get that call from him. And there were some personal things that we talked about. But the one thing that I could tell you that in our business, it's, it's hard to find people that are stand-up people. And he says, I want you to be in this film. And basically, he was giving my... Uh, my artistic integrity back in a sense. And and I said, hey, I'm in with both feet. Uh, because I think what 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 I'll say about Michael B is that he's the biggest star in the world and he could do anything he wants to. Uh but I think what was amazing or what is amazing about his career is when he laid the DNA of narratives like this in Fruitville Station, where he took all of our hearts and uh uh and emotions and and just and just wowed us and then to take that same narrative to the biggest movie ever, uh uh, Black Panther, where he plays Killmonger, which is supposedly the villain. But if you listen to what he was saying, even as a villain, his narrative for us on the biggest stage was still talking about our culture and what we needed. So now, to me, this completes an artistic sentence of of many paragraphs that he's going to write. But Just Mercy is the most important movie 
that I've ever been involved with because of the fact of the introduction of Brian Stevenson. Because Brian Stevenson says and deals with and talks about every day everything that we everything that we talk about on social media, but don't know where to go. Right. You know, there'll be things where you're looking on social media and you'll be so mad about, I see this black teen or I see this person, uh, these atrocities happen. And we'll get on and we'll we'll comment about it. But this gives us an opportunity to come see a movie, which is not only art, uh, but it's educational. It's inspirational. He has right? so it's, much perspective, it, doesn't it, he, Jamie? He, he has so much perspective. And it's so, listen, I, get, I, I would get upset when people would say about a black man that he speaks so well. But then I found myself saying this about Brian Stevenson that he speaks so well, but not speaking so well. It's what he's saying. He's telling us about our past. He's telling us about what we need to get, uh, uh, what we need to get to, and how how bad things are. But he's saying it in a way that everyone could be inclusive. These events happened thirty years ago, but against the backdrop of Black Lives Matter, and I think a modern reckoning of. Yeah. All these issues and the genesis of the problem. Yeah. You must feel like this is more relevant than ever before to really explore how we got here. And that's what I think Brian does so beautifully. He kind of connects threads in history from Reconstruction, Jim Crow, segregation to what is modern day segregation, really, de facto segregation. Well, what, the thing is, is that you can see it now, you know. Years back, we didn't have social media. Now you can actually go on your, your phone and see atrocities today, modern day, 2019 and the 20, of something going bad because of a person's uh, color of skin. You see a, a young, uh, a, you see a black man being treated a certain way or shot and killed for a traffic stop. Started off as your blinker was out, something small, and he ends up dead. And then you see someone who's not black, white, carry out a crazy atrocity, and they apprehend them. They take them to get something to eat. Brian Stevenson has been fighting this fight in the shadows for years. So that's why this movie is so important. It's important for everybody to rally behind it because I always say what happens in the hood usually gets to the suburbs. So eventually these types of things will, 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 will touch you in some type of way. So... Like I said, the movie does something that I haven't seen a movie do, especially when people get a chance to watch it with other people. What are the qualities you admire most about Brian Stevenson? His humility, his drive, his focus, uh, his strategic way in which he moves and thinks, um, his selflessness, his, um, uh, his heart, his compassion— his persistence. Uh, his unwavering persistence. Jamie says this all the time. He just doesn't fatigue. You know, the guy uh, is nonstop from Supreme Court case after Supreme Court case, back to set, back to Supreme Court. You know, he's constantly back uh, to the latest battle, the right? Of, exactly. What do you think, Jamie? I, I, that. I, I just, I just think his 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 courage. You know. Uh, being a, a young man from the South, you know, sometimes it makes you tuck your blackness in sometimes. Like, I've been in situations where I was like, man, I don't know. And uh, to see someone who lives in the South and be able to speak truth to people who uh, who don't have a fondness of you, uh, I think it's amazing. And I think it's amazing, too, uh, that he does it, uh, like you told me, pro, pro bono, that he does it sometimes um, 
Even now, he said he goes through things that, you know, he showed up to the courtroom and the, and the judge thought he was actually, you know, uh, uh, he thought he was on trial. He thought he, he was, was on trial. Uh, yeah. You're over there. You know? So, so the things that I think that that his his patience, his patience uh, with uh, with a system that is flawed when it comes to African Americans, I think is amazing, and we we all benefit from his patience. Well, I have been such a huge fan of his for many years, and I'm just so happy that the two of you are going to hopefully make him a household name, thanks to Just Mercy. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you both. Thank you. Up next, we'll have more with Brian Stevenson, his latest battle against the death penalty, and how he's trying to reframe this country's historical narrative by exhuming the ghosts of our past. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Brian Stevenson is the director of the Equal Justice Initiative, The goal of EJI, in addition to representing the most unrepresented, is to help people understand the true history of our country, including its darkest chapters, through the Legacy Museum in Alabama. But first, I asked him about the recent news from Attorney General William Barr that the Trump administration will resume executing federal death row prisoners. You know, what's interesting is that the federal death penalty is not well understood. Some of the most extreme racial disparities in the death penalty actually exist in the federal system. 
And we just haven't done a very good job of creating reliability and fairness. I, I think that, you know, the question of the death penalty in this country can't be answered by asking, uh, do people deserve to die for the crimes they've committed? I think the threshold question is, do we deserve to kill? And we have a system that is very unreliable, that is very unfair, that is biased, that doesn't treat people of color the same way they treat other people, uh, that doesn't provide people with the resources that they need. You know, at the end of the film, I'm, I'm really pleased to have a statistic that everybody's going to see when they see this movie. And it's a shocking statistic. And the statistic is, is that um, we've now proven innocent 164 people on death row. That means for every nine people who've been executed in this country, we've identified one innocent person on death, death row. And when you think about that, it's completely unacceptable that we're still trying to execute people. If we learn that one out of nine apples in the store would kill you if you touched it or bit into it, we would stop selling apples. Nobody would get on a plane if for one out of nine planes goes up and crashes and everybody dies. But we're accepting it in the context of the death penalty. And I think what's disappointing about trying to resume the federal death penalty is that we haven't done the hard work of making that death penalty reliable and fair. And so I know that there are lawyers who are going to be fighting against that, and I hope this becomes uh, just a moment in this effort. We've seen a lot of states reject the death penalty. There's a moratorium in California right now. The numbers of death sentences has decreased dramatically in the last decade or so. I think the, uh, the, the progress that we're making will ultimately happen, I think, in a generation, 30, 40, 50 years from now. People will look back and say, why were they executing people in this country? Uh, 50 years ago. Let's talk about the Legacy Museum and the Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery. The New Yorker compares the Legacy Museum to a great legal argument in that it relies on both emotion and a precise accumulation of evidence. There's so many powerful things in Montgomery that I hope everyone will get an opportunity to see. But Brian, why was this such an important project for you? You know, I, I talk about the fact that I'm a product of Brown versus Board of Education. I wouldn't be sitting here if lawyers hadn't come into our community and made it possible for me to go to high school and college. And I think it was about 12 or 13 years ago when I began to think about that. And I had this really chilling um, thought. And the chilling, scary thought that I had was, um, I don't think we could win Brown versus Board of Education today. I don't think our court would do something that disruptive on behalf of a disenfranchised, disempowered group. And the reason why I don't think they would do it is that we haven't created a narrative environment that actually pushes our institutions uh, to, to never waver when it comes to justice and fairness. And that's what made me think we have to start working outside the courts to create a healthier environment, an environment that deals honestly. I, I don't think we're free. I think we're burdened by this history of racial inequality I moved to Montgomery in the 1980s. There are 59 markers and monuments to the Confederacy in that city. Uh, Alabama still celebrates uh, Jefferson Davis's birthday as a state holiday. A Confederate Memorial Day is still a state holiday. We don't have Martin Luther King Day in Alabama. We have Martin Luther King slash Robert E. Lee Day. Uh, the two largest high schools in Montgomery are Robert E. Lee High and Jefferson Davis High. We've been practicing denial and silence, and we've created this false narrative about who we are. And I just think we're at a point in our nation's history where we have to change that narrative. We're going to have to commit ourselves to truth-telling. South Africa committed to truth and reconciliation after apartheid. 
they have an apartheid museum that's powerful. If you go to the Constitutional Court in Johannesburg, it's surrounded by emblems and symbols that are designed to make sure that no one forgets the injustice of apartheid. If you go to Berlin, you can't go 200 meters without seeing the markers and the stones that have been placed next to the homes of Jewish families that were abducted during the Holocaust. The Germans actually want you to go to the Holocaust Memorial. They're trying to change the narrative. They don't want to be thought of as Nazis and fascists. There are no Adolf Hitler statues in Germany. But in this country, we haven't talked about the native genocide. We haven't talked about slavery. We haven't talked about lynching. We haven't talked about segregation. And I think that has to change. And so we built these sites because I believe we need an era of truth and justice. And the thing we have to remember is that truth and justice, uh, I just, I, I, I think that truth and justice, truth and repair, truth and reconciliation, I think these things are sequential. You gotta tell the truth before you get to reconciliation. And for me, this is rooted in a desire. And I don't do this stuff because I wanna punish us for our history. I really believe there is something that feels more like freedom, that feels more like equality, that feels more like justice than what we have yet experienced in this nation. But to get there, we're going to have to have these conversations. We're going to have to talk about these things. We're going to have to build institutions like the ones we've hopefully built that will motivate people to go through those spaces. And when they get to the end of the space, say never again when it comes to tolerating bias and bigotry and hatred. That's the hope. And of course, the history of lynching in this country is something that has literally been buried from view. And that's one of the things that was so moving for me to see the mason jars full of soil from various lynching sites. You have done a project where you bring the descendants of lynching victims to the site where you believe their relatives were killed, were murdered, hung, shot, burned. And then they collect the soil because these people never had a proper burial. And the stories of those victims are so heartbreaking. And the different colors of soil Mm. representing all the different regions where these lynchings took place. I mean, it's just such a powerful, powerful thing to see. It took my breath away, honestly. Well, for me, it's about active truth-telling. And I, and that's what I think. And, it, and it's sometimes hard. You have to be courageous to do it. But I think that's the goal. I mean, we did one recently uh, where a middle-aged Black woman came. And, and, and what we do is we send people to lynching sites. We give them an empty jar. We give them a little implement to dig soil. And they put the soil in the jar. It has the name of the lynching victim and the date. And then we put it in our museum and we put it in our display. And this uh, middle-aged Black woman came and she was nervous about doing this by herself. And Her site ended up being in a pretty remote location, but she drove down to this dirt road and got out of her car to go uh, dig the soil. She found the tree and she was about to start digging when a truck drove by. And there was this big white guy in the truck and he drove by and he saw this black woman on the side of the road and he slowed down and he turned around and he drove back by. And she said he stared at her as he drove by. And then she said he parked the truck and he got out of the truck, big guy, and he started walking toward her and she was terrified. And we tell people, you don't have to explain what you're doing when you're doing this. You can just say you're getting dirt for your garden. And that's what she was going to do. And this big white guy walked up to her and he said, what are you doing? And she said, she was about to say, I'm just getting dirt for my garden. She said, something got a hold of her. And she told that man, she says, I'm digging soil because this is where a black man was lynched in 1931. And I want to honor his life. And she said she got so scared that she started digging real fast. And the man just stood there. And then the man said, does that paper talk about the lynching? And she said, it does. And he said, can I read it? And so she gave the man the paper. 
And she kept digging while the man read. And then the man put the paper down and he stunned her by saying, uh, would you mind if I helped you? And she said, of course. And the man got down on his knees and she offered him the implement to dig the soil. And he said, no, 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 you keep that. I'll just use my hands. And she said, this man started throwing his hands into the soil and his hands were turning black with this. And he kept throwing his hands and there was something about the force with which he was digging this soil that moved her. And before she realized it, she had tears running down her face. And the man stopped and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm upsetting you. And she said, no, 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 you're blessing me. And he used his hands and he dug the soil and put it in the jar. And she used the implement and they filled this jar and they got toward the top. And she said, the man started to slow down. And then she looked at the man and she noticed that his shoulders were shaking. And then she saw tears running down his face. And she stopped and she put her hand on his shoulder and she said, are you okay? And the man said, no, no, no. I'm just so worried that it might have been my grandfather that lynched this man. And she said, they both sat on the roadside crying. And they finished and he stood up and he said, I want to take a picture of you holding the jar. And she said, well, I want to take a picture of you holding the jar. <laughs> and she brought this man back to Montgomery and, and they called me into the room and she, she brought me over to him. She said, I want you to meet my new friend. He helped me dig the soil. We want to put the jar on the museum exhibit together. I said, that would be beautiful. And I tell that story because beautiful things like that don't always happen when you do truth work. But unless we do the truth work, we deny ourselves the opportunity for beautiful things to happen. And that's what I hope our sites represent. I hope that's what our work represents. It's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, but I think something beautiful can come from this if we can find a way to lay down the burden of this long history of inequality, this long history of hatred and bigotry and racism. I really want to get to a different place. And for me, that means being willing to speak the truth. When it comes to talking about his own legacy, Brian is characteristically humble. I really do believe that if I've had any impact as a lawyer, if I've helped anybody during my legal career, if I've made a difference of representing my clients, it's not because I'm hardworking. It's not because I'm smart or anything like that. It's because I got proximate to a condemned man and heard him sing about higher ground. And that's why I talk about proximity, because I think there's power when we get close to the poor and the excluded and the condemned. There's knowledge, there's wisdom, there's insight, there's inspiration. There are portals that can change the world. That word, proximate, has always stuck with me. Because if we're not exposed to other people, if we don't step out of our own bubbles and see how others live and what they face, how will we ever learn to be more empathetic and make the world a better place? I know it may sound hokey, but as Brian Stevenson says, getting proximate is, quote, key to our capacity to make a difference. The movie Just Mercy, starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, is in theaters this Christmas. I highly recommend it. And that does it for this week's episode, which is actually my last episode of our very first season. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed doing it. We're going to take a little break while we prepare for season two coming in early 2020. Gosh, can you believe it's 2020? But don't worry, we have a few bonus surprises coming your way. So keep an ear to the next question feed over the holidays. And if you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeart app, or wherever you listen. And by the way, if you're overwhelmed by the tsunami of information coming at you from your phone every single day, check out my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call. Go to katiecouric.com to subscribe. 
And of course, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And one more thing before I go, I'd recommend something else that can help you make sense of all that's going on these days. That's Cheddar's Need to Know podcast. Every morning, host Jill and Carlo break down the biggest stories making headlines, and it's all under 10 minutes, from politics and business to sports and entertainment. It's daily news with a little humor that will make you smile. If you haven't checked it out, you should. And so, until next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Lauren Bright Pacheco, Julie Douglas, and Tyler Klang. Our show producers are Beth Ann Macaluso and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. Associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing is by Dylan Fagan, Derek Clements, and Lowell Berlanti. Our researcher is Barbara Keene. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecouric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecouric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.